This is a recording made in the chapel of the open book at the dinner hour meetings held on Wednesday and we are dealing with the words one, oneness, one in Christ. You may remember that we have already looked at Romans the 8th chapter as a separate series and there we came to the passage which said that the redeemed had been predestinated to be conformed to the image of God's Son and he was going to be the firstborn among many brethren. There we have something which starts us off, the image. Now we shall discover uh, that we are thrown back to Adam in Romans 5. We shall see there's a reference to Adam in Hebrews 2. There's a reference to Adam in 1 Corinthians 15, so that we must, as it were, realize that there is an insistence in the scripture that just as you and I, by ordinary birth, are one with Adam, so by the grace of God, we can only be extricated and given a new standing by being made one with Christ. Sometimes it's expressed as being in, as in Adam all die. In Christ all are made alive. Uh, you can't be in without being one in that sense. So that you see, when you look back over the past and begin to weigh up the story, man was made in the image of God, that image has been defaced. There's going to be a recreated image according to the teaching of Scripture, the image of God's dear Son. And then, not only has the image been touched, but there's also life has been forfeit because man was expelled from the garden and he was to return to the dust to which he came. Not only Life, but righteousness, the disobedience of the words stands in Romans 5 or what happened in the Garden of Eden. So righteousness is God. And then they were ashamed in the holy presence of God. And so holiness is God. Well, that gives us at least four features that we've got to consider. We have righteousness only in Christ by being one with him. And that was rather developed in Romans 5. We have sanctification only in Christ by being one with him. That we're going to look at in a moment too. We have life in Christ. John 17, that there may be one as thou Father art in me. And then the gold of the ages when there shall be handed up a perfect universe and God shall be all in all. That's only another way of saying at last, perfect unity. Isn't this a marvellous thought? And I feel that it underlies so much in scripture that we do well to give it a patient consideration. Now, Hebrews chapter 2 is the passage before us, and we have a very short time to give it even a scansion. <clears throat> you notice that Adam is there without being named. He's in the um, second chapter, verse 5, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak, but one of the certain place testified, saying, What is man, that thou art mindful of him, and thou hast made him a little lower than the angels? That is a quotation from Psalm 8, which in its turn looks back to Adam who had all things put under his feet. But another feature I'd like you to notice is that this verse 7 reminds you that he was crowned with glory and honour. Now the words in the Old Testament, which are here translated glory and honour, are the words glory and beauty, and they define the raiments of the high priest. So here we have Adam, before he fell, crowned with glory and honour. And then you find the words are lifted out concerning our Saviour. Verse 9. 
we don't see Adam now, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honour. Here is the great high priest of our profession, according to Hebrews, the sacrificial work being done. For now he comes on, verse 10. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. <coughs> now the word captain brings up to your mind a military sort of expedition, but when you turn to the twelfth chapter, you discover that it is there translated also. Perhaps you might like to see that for yourself, and its context in the same epistle, the same word, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher or perfecter of faith. And then he goes on for the joy that was set before him, endured a cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, that's the one that is here. Now then, here's where it begins to touch you and me. Verse 11. For both he that sanctified and they who are sanctified are all of one. There's no possible salvation, sanctification, justification, or ultimate glory apart from Christ is there. And here is the way. You are made one with him to explore the teaching of Scripture as to how that oneness is brought about may still leave us baffled. Uh, but uh, don't worry about that because uh, I don't even know the processes of digestion, but I hope it's going on, you see. I'm not going to starve myself because I don't know all the intricacies of it. I may go, I may go a bit crazy if I did know, you see. But let's thank God that he has put it so plainly in the Scriptures that because of our condition, Christ has been put there and we are one with Adam with all that deficiency can now be one with Christ with all that wonderful uh, added glory. Now, for the next few minutes, let's see how this oneness is put down in this chapter. I'll put on the board just little steps. In chapter 2, verse 11, all of one is to do with sanctification. All of one. And then you will see in verse 14, it stresses oneness again. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Well, that's what he did, and that's how he did it. We could not go up. He came down. I don't know whether you've ever read Drummond's Natural Law in the Spiritual World. You must read it with a certain amount of discretion. Uh, but there is one feature in it which is very, very true. It refers to outside nature. And uh, you have a heap of soil, and running through that soil is a lot of iron. Not in lumps of metal, but you know there's iron in soil. I suppose supposed to be plenty in Devon, I suppose, because the soil is red. Well, that soil will remain just that oxide of iron for eternity. It can never move, never go up. But if a little seed is put into it, it sends down a root. It then transforms that iron into, now, the vegetable, because you, you, can't, you can see through it, you can't see through iron. It won't go rusty, you can't make metal out of it, but it's there. It goes up by the life 
cow going down. But there it will remain. It can't do any more till a cow comes along and eats it. And uh, then it goes into the blood and becomes milk and butter and beef and you and I have got the iron. It always goes up by a power that comes down. So he looked and there was no man. He wanted that there was no intercessor that his own right arm brought salvation and it meant that he who was rich became poor for our sakes. That he who was in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and stooped down, became a man and went to the very death of the cross. He came where he was is the beautiful thought in the parable of the Samaritan and he did it. He didn't look afar off and say all poor wretches I must do something for them. He came where we were. He was made the same flesh and blood with one exception, one blessed exception, without sin. If, if you'll turn for a moment to Romans the 8th chapter, you'll see that when we were looking at that chapter, that is the way in which it first starts. Only in Romans 8, it's not, not sanctification, it's justification and freedom from condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus. The rest of it we wait because that's really lifted out from verse 4. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So there are two laws at work, one in Christ and one in Adam. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us and so on. See? So God's answer was to deliver us from condemnation he sent his son in the flesh but only in the likeness of sinful flesh but he was a real man. So go back again to Hebrews 2. And then we have the next statement not only death but in verse 17 we have this wonderful statement Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, here it is again, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation of the sins of the people. And we've got in verse 18, why and how, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. So there we get an emphasis of oneness in this chapter, beginning with Adam and ending with Christ, beginning with Adam, who succumbed to temptation in the easiest possible surroundings and ending with Christ, who can succour us in our temptations, which are not now in a wonderful garden, but outside in the wilderness of a world, and all in between linked together by this big gift of God, sending his Son. So here we have the emphasis upon sanctification. And this the very epistle says, Without holiness no man shall see the Lord. So Romans' great key word is righteousness. And the consequence is that not only are we justified by faith in the blood of Christ, but even more important, God is said to be justified. God is just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. Do remember that God is very concerned that he should be justified, and so should we be. God has not sacrificed holiness or righteousness to save us. He sacrificed his son that righteousness should never be forfeited and holiness should never be in any measure lowered. What a wonderful plan. What a marvellous scheme. We should never afford of it ourselves. And so we've got righteousness and justification in Romans 
and we've got holiness and sanctification in Hebrews. Some people are not quite aware of the connection of these words because in our English language we can draw from more sources than one. We can draw from Anglo-Saxon and we say uh, right. Yes, righteous. And then we don't say righteousify uh, because that's not done. So we borrow from the Latin and we say justify. But if you're looking at the Greek original, it's righteous and righteousify. And then we have holiness. But we don't say holify, we say sanctify. So whole or holy is Saxon and sanctify is Latin. So while we've got a very facile language, it sometimes veils as well as illuminates. So do remember that if you need righteousness, justification is what God has brought about. And he's just when he does it. And if you need sanctification or holiness, it's a holy God that accepts you. It must be perfect then, mustn't it? And so it says here, he was perfected. It says it so here, perfect through sufferings. And in the passage we looked at just now in the 12th chapter, is the author and finisher, that word finisher is the word perfecter, perfecter, he's the one who takes it right through so that we may have no diffidence in the thought of one day we're going to stand in that holy light unashamed. Or I pray that as we go through these themes, I'll have to take a few more in Hebrews to develop it and show some of its magnificence. I trust we'll realise what a wonderful thought underlies all this oneness. We've got to go to John 17 yet, when it says that they all may be one, that they may be perfected into one, as thou, Father, art in me. And then when we've done that, I think we should have to go back to the Old Testament and see how it's embedded in a, not a very well-known figure of Christ, but also rich, not merely a redeemer, but a kinsman redeemer, one with us, one with us in death, one with us in life. And he says, the glory which thou hast given me, I have given them that they all may be one. The glory that's coming is to still be a uniting factor. What a poor miserable gospel we've got to preach, haven't we, friends? How it touches us everywhere, and yet so few respond to it. So few seem to believe it. So few seem to preach it. Well, let us see to it that as we have opportunity, may we not merely just give a, a bare, threadbare gospel to our fellow sufferers and sinners, but may we point to them to the way in which Christ has become all in all to those who believe and trust him.